Join us and Neighborhood Cats for all you need to know about Trap New to Return, TNR, and Colony Management. You'll learn the basics and walk away with the tools you need to be successful in helping outdoor cats. Workshops are typically held the first Saturday of the month. Registrants will have the opportunity to earn a certificate. For more information and to register today, go to communitycatspodcast.com. You've tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we're speaking with Rachel Geller. Rachel is the founder and president of All Cats All the Time Incorporated, which is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to promoting the adoption of cats and preventing their surrender and abandonment by helping cat animal shelters and cat owners access cat behavior counseling free of charge for the cats in their care. Rachel is certified as a cat behavior and retention specialist, humane education specialist, pet chaplain, fear-free shelter specialist, American Association of Feline Practitioners, Cat Friendly Veterinarian, Veterinary Advocate, and Red Rover Reader. She is currently a cat behaviorist for cat and animal shelters all over the world, including working with adopters, training shelter volunteers, and instituting surrender prevention programs. She also provides individual cat behavior help to cat parents. Rachel, I'd like to welcome you back to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be back and to be talking about my new nonprofit with you today. Yes, this is very, very exciting. And what I want to find out is, I mean, you've been in the animal welfare space for years and years. You've been involved in several other nonprofit organizations. You've been on board of directors. So, you know, why did you feel the desire to start a new nonprofit? And what is the true purpose of this new group? Well, as you said, I, you know, I've been involved for a long time and my role, even when I was on the, on boards or on advisory boards, I always found myself gravitating to taking on more of the role of the cat behavior spectrum of of things. And as I got more and more involved with cat behavior and, and solving cat behavior problems for shelters, adopters, owners, I would get to a point where many people would say to me, you've helped me so much. How can I repay you? what can I do? And I would always say to people, you know, I really, my personal mission in life is there is never a financial barrier preventing people from keeping their cats in their home. So you don't need to pay me. And then people would say, but we want to do something. Can we donate to your organization or can we donate to a shelter? And I would say, if you want to donate to the shelter where you adopted your cat or to any shelter that has meaning to you, that would be lovely. But the feedback I always got was people really wanted to donate to something that was specifically mine. They wanted to help me further my mission. And that thought kind of stayed with me. And then on the flip side, I have clients who really can't afford some of the cat paraphernalia that I would recommend. So maybe I would say to somebody, you know, if you had a multi-tiered cat tree, that would really help. Or if you had a window perch, that would really help. Or... If you can get a few more litter boxes, that would be, you know, very helpful to your particular problem. And I had people who would come to me and say, I really can't afford these extra items for my cat. So 
Now with my nonprofit, which is called All Cats All the Time, if people would like to donate to thank me for cat behavior services that I provided, I say yes. Here's my new nonprofit. I would greatly appreciate your donation. And then I can use that money to help the low-income people who are having difficulty with cat behavior and couldn't afford some of the stuff that cats need that would really help in their particular situation. So it's really been kind of like a full circle for me. I'm still not accepting payment, which is my mission, but people can donate to my um, nonprofit, All Cats All the Time, should they feel so moved. And I now have that money to use for people who are also seeking my help, but maybe can't afford all of that extra stuff, paraphernalia, you know, cat-related items that would go with, you know, their problem. So basically, this is supporting items like feel away or cat tree or something from that. It's not covering veterinary costs. Well, actually, I can cover veterinary costs. I um, filled out the paperwork in such a way that I can provide grants and I can cover veterinarian costs if it if it's affecting the behavior. So, for example, if the cat is not using the litter box because the cat has a UTI, I can absolutely cover that cost of getting, you know, that urinalysis. If the cat is, you know, having some other issue because of maybe, maybe the cat's not using the litter box because of digestive issues or that type of problem, I can cover that as well. I even can cover, can cover things that I see pop up a lot in my behavior world. You know, to other people, this is probably very rare, but I have it happen pretty often is that um, the cat will have ovarian remnant syndrome. So the cat was spayed, but is still spraying or not using the box. And I have been able to cover the cost of that test as well. So I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because it's not only the stuff, sometimes it's getting to that diagnosis where we know what's really um, affecting the cat. And so I can pay the veterinarian for that type of a test. Oh, that's phenomenal. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. And it's relatively new. You just started the nonprofit. So I have to ask you, what's your journey been like in this process of creating the nonprofit? Has it been hard for you finding your board of directors? Did you feel like you knew what you were doing in setting up a nonprofit? And what have been your challenges in this process? So I think one of the benefits is of serving on a lot of boards and advisory boards is that I've, I've gained a lot of knowledge about what works and what doesn't work for me personally. I mean, we all operate differently, but I've seen, okay, oh, I really find this is an effective way to do things or ooh, this way of doing things is just not making me happy. So I've had that experience where I've been able to see how things work, you know, best for me and kind of how I, I navigate the field. So um, I chose my board of directors carefully with people who I've worked with in the past and feel that we've always had a really good relationship and a good level of trust and respect between us. So that that piece of it, the people piece seemed to go very smoothly because, you know, I'm old and I've been at it for a long time. So you, you start to find, okay, this type of personality works well for me. This type of personality doesn't and put it all together. I also find try to find people who sort of complemented my style. So like also being a little different the way they approach things. Um, you know, I think in this world, you tend to follow your emotions a lot and 
you know, you kind of base decisions on your heartstrings being pulled, but I have people on my board who are a little more even keeled and linear, and that's been helping too, because somebody might say, well, have you thought about this? Um, Oh yeah, that's a really good point. So just being able to find people that I can work well with has been, and it's been really nice, you know, to be able to have something that's your baby, you know, this is my organization, this is my mission, and people who want to be on my board believe in me and believe in my mission. So that piece of it has been very rewarding. And 20 years down the line, when you decide you want to retire and your organization is booming, then we'll have the conversation about founder syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm sure there's, you know, many things and many iterations that I'm going to go through as I go on this journey. But I am really excited about this next step because I feel like it's a very, very direct way for me to help people. You know, I never heard, there are two expressions I have never heard so much before I became a cat behaviorist. Number one, I'm at my wit's end. And number two, I'm at the end of my rope. I never heard these cliches as often as I hear them now. And so it's it's so important for me to be able to say to people, you know, don't worry about it. I can get this for you. Don't worry about it. I can cover this vet appointment. Don't worry about it. I can cover this prescription food. I mean, what a gift. It's just been really, really lovely for me to be able to help people on this other level besides just saying, you know, go buy this, go do this, follow this program. And I I find that being able to do that really connects me to people on a different level too. They, they, not that we all don't care, but they really see this tangible reminder that I really do care and I want to help them solve the problem. Another question, um, you know, is, is the access to you. So do you have to qualify as someone who's low income or on food stamps or something like that to be able to get your support? So when I first thought about forming this, I really felt like, okay, I want to help low income people because, I, you know, if someone's not going to keep their cat because they can't afford the, you know, the stuff, they're running out of money because they've had to buy new furniture or whatnot. I really wanted to be there for those low income people. But as I was doing this, I realized that it's not only low-income people who don't want to spend more money on their cat. Typically, by the time somebody comes to me, you know, they've maybe tried different things on Google searches or they've had advice from well-meaning friends, and maybe that hasn't gone so swell. A couple of couches may have already been peed on. Furniture may have already been shredded. So um, they're not so thrilled to, like, now spend an extra few hundred dollars on what's going on with this cat. So it's really on the honor system. If somebody says to me, I can't afford it, I say, don't worry about it. I can take care of this. But on the flip side, if somebody says to me, I've already spent $800 on vet bills to find out what's going on with this cat. There's nothing wrong with her. I'm not spending any more money. That's a perfect time for me to be able to say, you don't have to. If you're willing to work with me and follow my program and stay in touch with me, that's all I ask, and I will buy you this X, Y, or Z item. So in, in about a month's time or so, Rachel, you're going to be one of the presenters at Online Behavior Day that is hosted by the Community Cats podcast. And in the past, you have shared a program that you use with other uh, animal shelters, cat shelters, cat organizations um, on how to have a behavior program in there. Is that similar to what your nonprofit is, or is it different than that? It's a little different because 
when the person makes that step of then actually contacting the shelter, filling out the surrender form, you know, calling the shelter and saying, I want to surrender my cat. They may have been thinking about surrendering, but now they're really doing it. So, you know, I think when people contact me, you know, they might be thinking, I don't know how much longer I can take this, but they haven't made that final step of actually surrendering. But I think what's so powerful about when they surrender to a shelter and a shelter has a surrender prevention program, for then the shelter to say, you know, we can take your cat, but if we told you that we can provide you with free cat behavior counseling, would you be willing to keep your cat and give it a try? And I think I find that most people say yes. Most people really don't want to surrender their cats. Most people want to do the right thing. They just always aren't sure what that is. So somebody surrendering a cat because of the, you know, the baby issues. I see that, okay, I'm going to surrender my cat. The cat's not getting, this cat doesn't like the new baby. And people just assume there's nothing that they can do. The cat's jealous or the cat's scared of the baby. That's how it's going to be. But when they call the shelter and the shelter says, this is actually a fixable problem. There's something we can do about this. And we have someone who will guide you through this free of charge. And then I can come in before that final step is made. That can really make a big difference. Oftentimes, providing people with the necessary items, the support, the kindness, the caring, that can be the very important difference between the person keeping the cat and surrendering the cat. So I really help people set up cat behavior surrender programs in shelters so that they can help people keep the cats, you know, in their homes who already have homes. And that frees up a spot in the shelter for, you know, a cat who truly is homeless. And I provided people with like templates and talking points and, you know, how to put that program into place. And I have some shelters who've told me that this surrender rate has gone down from 7% to 2%. So that's, that's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's great. That's, yeah. that's really, that's excellent. Is your organization struggling to keep up with the needs of your community? Well, great news. Dubert.com can help solve that problem for you with their companion case management module. It allows you to create cases for all your clients' needs. Send emails and text messages right from the system. And with Dubert's powerful, innovative thinking, you can also set up and initiate workflows that will pretty much do the hard work for you. Exciting, right? Check it out and learn more at www.dubert.com to get started today. Ever wanted to quickly connect, collaborate, or problem solve with others in the animal welfare field who are, you know, real people? Look no further than Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum brings people of animal welfare together with the common goal to keep more people and pets together. We share ideas, expertise, offer each other support, resources, and more. Visit forum.maddiespetforum.org slash cats. Maddie's Pet Forum, come for an answer, stay for the community. I have a question for you. You were just talking about somebody's bringing the cat into the shelter, wanting to surrender the cat because of behavior. When is there that line where there's, there's, when do you give, I don't want to say give up because we never want to give up on a cat or, but maybe it's giving up on that particular cat family combination. Mm -hmm. When do we decide it's just not going to work and, and it's okay. It's okay. But you know, when do you call it? So I always, if it starts to seem like it's going on a while, 
I always will write a separate email away from kind of like the, you know, the, the trail of the cat behavior work and write a separate email and say, I want you to be sure that you know that I'm in no judgment zone. I'm not going to be upset if you really think you can't take care of your cat anymore. I want to make sure I'm not putting any pressure on you and kind of really go through a little like, it's okay if you can't keep this cat anymore. You know, we can, the shelter will always take a cat back from, you know, if you adopted the cat from a shelter and if not, I'll help you. So yeah, if I, a lot of it's just kind of my gut. If I feel like it's been going on for a while, I I like to do a little reality check, gut check, just to make sure that the person's not feeling pressured by me or the person isn't feeling like they're getting overwhelmed. Um, And it is, it's like a judgment call because I have some clients who say to me, I don't care if it takes five years. I want this to work. I want to keep my cat. I don't care what it costs. The sky's the limit. You know, so that's good information for me to have. But I do try to really find people's limitations. Not because so not just financial limitations, but patience limitations, time limitations. And that can really guide me through, you know, helping this person. If somebody if somebody has a big enough house. And they decide that if it doesn't work out, one cat's going to live upstairs and one cat's going to live downstairs. I'm okay with that if they are okay with that. But yeah, I try to let people know, you know, I'm in no judgment zone. So you can let me know at any time if this is getting to be too much. What are the most common complaints that you get? Litter box, hands down, is the number one cat behavior complaint that comes to me. And it's interesting because it can even divide litter box into pee and poop because not peeing in the litter box is actually higher on the list than not pooping in the litter box. You know, a lot of people are okay with picking up a poop. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't involve quite the same level of cleaning and it's definitely nowhere as smelly and it doesn't leave, you know, an odor forever. So not peeing in the box is, is the number one complaint that I get hands down. The number two would be inappropriate scratching. So, you know, that cat is a hardcore shredder and I'm not talking about snowboarding here, people, but, you know, the couch is confetti and everything's a big mess. So that's number two. And, you know, cat pee and inappropriate scratching not only are annoying, but, you know, they ruin nice things in a home. And so from some people... You know, that's just not something, it's non-negotiable to some people. There are some, I'm not one of them, but there are some people who actually really want their couches to look nice and really want their, you know, carpet to not be full of poles and, and so forth. But, but, you know, you get all kinds. I, I, I've gotten emails before once where, you know, the person's up, upset because the, the cat will sit on the table when, when they're eating. And, you know, sometimes I think to myself, okay, so the problem is because that doesn't particularly bother me. So I really have to learn, you know, to to tackle everything from the client's point of view and to keep in the back of my mind that no matter what, my ultimate goal is to keep that cat in the home. Can you tell me a little bit about what is fear free? Because I, I know I read it in your bio and I know people mention it. There's like fear free veterinary practices out there. What does that really mean? So fear free means that, you know, we're doing things that will help the cat feel safe and secure in an environment where they may not necessarily feel safe and secure. So, for example, like at the veterinarian, a fear free shelter would be I mean, a fear-free vet practice might be where they keep the cats and the dogs separate. Fear-free, you know, other little things. They don't put the carriers down on the floor. They have a place where the carriers can be up. 
the vet techs and the staff don't carry the carrier by the handle. So the 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 carriers is like swishing all around. They they put their arms underneath and carry the the carrier in a, in a way that's not going to stress the cats out. So fear free is basically thinking of handling, you know, positioning, using your voice all in a way that are going to be more not as stress inducing for the cat. So the idea is maybe changing up the way you do your practice a little bit so that the cat isn't sitting next to a dog, hearing the barking and, and, and you know, then they're in the, the container, the uh, carrier, the container, Freudian slip there because it feels like a container to the cat. And, you know, they know there's no way means of escape. So letting the cats have a separate waiting area where there's no dogs is a huge big deal to a cat. Yeah. So those are some examples of a fear free, but it's in general, it's always thinking about having a considerate approach to the cat based on a cat's needs. You were talking a little bit earlier about scratching being sort of the second complaint. <laughs> what are your thoughts about declawing? Well, I'm just going to put it out there. I, I hate <laughs> declawing cats. And as a behaviorist, you know, so many of the behavioral problems that come to me are a direct result of declawing. So cats become very bitey when they're declawed because they've, they've lost that level of defense um, with their claws. And, you know, to a cat, you know, yes, maybe they don't always need their claws because they aren't always in a fight, you know, I, the, or they're not always doing climbing. But the idea is that it's kind of like, think, think of like if you're riding your bike, you would always wear your helmet. If you're in your car, you would always wear your seatbelt and you feel very secure and reassured by these things because you know it's, it's safer and that provides you with comfort. So when a cat loses her claws, she loses that, that layer of comfort, that idea knowing that if she needed the protection, it's there for her. And so the cats who don't have their claws, they're always under constant stress and it may not take that much to sort of put them over that breaking point where they will bite or they declawed cats are famous for having litter box problems because their paws become so sensitive from that declawing surgery. There are cats are very tactile animals and there are cats who have sensitivity issues for the rest of their life, you know, due to declawing. There are cats who have pain in their paws for the rest of their lives due to declawing. So it's really a, I mean, I find it almost like an abusive thing to do, or not almost, I feel it is an abusive thing to do to a cat. You're just taking away that level of protection that a cat really depends on. It's instinctual that a cat's going to want to know if she needs those claws, they are there for her. And just like many of us would never drive in a car without a seatbelt, seat or many of us wouldn't ride a bike without a helmet, your cat always wants to know she has those claws there should it come to needing them. We have a lot of folks that take our TNR certification workshops that we do in partnership with Neighborhood Cats. About 70% of the people that attend those mon monthly workshops are just out there trying to help cats in their own backyard, in their own community. Many people email me and they say, I'm just trying to trap this cat or these kittens and I plan on adopting one or the other. I can pet the cat out there, but I can't pick it up, um, but I want to trap it, bring it in and basically adopt it. Do you have any advice for those folks? So I find, you know, with very young kittens, 
that it's very possible to socialize the kittens. You always want to make sure that a new cat in your home has their own room. It's very important to start off a new cat in the home with, I call it a sanctuary room. People call it a safe room. But you want any new cat that you're bringing into your home to have her own separate sanctuary room. And what I think is really important is to is to create an atmosphere where you can now bond with that new kitten or cat that maybe you brought in. So it's really, I find the best things to do are if there is a bedroom or a bureau in that room or anything that a cat can get under, block that off. Use luggage, use boxes, use storage containers, put them under the bed or under the bureau so the cat or kitten doesn't spend her entire day hiding from you. But make sure you provide ways that that cat can hide that are accessible to you. So for example, a cat tunnel, because you can sit next to a cat tunnel or a cat cube. Again, you can sit next to a cat cube and resist that urge to reach for the kitten or the cat. Let the cat come to you at her own pace. So in these matters, it's always best to go at the cat's pace. So let the cats or kitten set the pace of the interaction Spend as much time as you can in that room. It's not, it's not a you know a jail cell or a, a prison sentence. It's to let that cat or kitten get a sense of safety and security. So the more that you could just be in the room with the cat or kitten, not definitely doing you know not always just approaching that cat or kitten is really great. I tell people to sit on the floor, have something in your hands and have your eyes on that item in your hands. That is a very non-threatening position for a cat. So it's a great time to check your Facebook or send an email or read a book or do some knitting, whatever you like. But just be in there, sitting on the floor if you can. Cats are, and kittens too are more comforted when you're on the floor and not towering over them. So, But if you can't do that, you can always maybe have um, a low chair or something to sit on. But something in your hands eyes on that item, that is a very non-threatening position for cats. You, I always uh, suggest to interact to play with a fishing pole type toy. And if the cat is hiding somewhere or if the cat is too afraid, you can break that down. So you can start off with just moving the thing at the end of the string very, very slowly back and forth and see if you can just get the cat to follow that with her eyes. Even if a cat is only just do, is doing nothing else but following that item with her eyes, she's thinking of something else besides her own fear and anxiety, and that's very positive. So I think sometimes these things go more slowly than a lot of people want. It's hard to be patient, but the most important thing is to really go at that cat's pace and to give the cat time. I mean, if the cat, if the kittens are feral, if the mom is feral, you know, there's going to be a little more time that that goes into this. But many times, if you are consistent right at the beginning, you can definitely um, get these cats to come around. Excellent. A few years ago, you wrote a book, uh, Saving the World, One Cat at a Time. Can you share um, some details with uh, us about that? So yes, my book, Saving the World, One Cat at a Time, was written to really help people have harmonious relationships with their cats and to solve these problems that might be causing stress to not only the cat, but the person too. And it's a little bit of what I call an instruction, an instructional memoir. So there, I tell a little bit about my story and how I got to this point, but I also provide 
easy to implement solutions for problems like not using the box, like um, not using the scratching post, how, how to uh, integrate a multi-cat household. I have a whole thing like on fear and aggression and so forth. And what I love so, so much about my book is that I donate 100% of the proceeds from book sales to cat shelters or cat welfare organizations or cat you know, advocate organizations. And I've even used it for some grants. So it's been really a wonderful experience for me to have that book and to help people. You know, so when someone reads the book, not only that they're getting help with their own cat, but they're helping other cats. So that's a win-win. Rachel, if folks are interested in reaching out to you, finding out more about the work that you do, how would they do that? They can go to my website, drrachelcatbehavior.com. On the landing page, I have information about my nonprofit, All Cats All the Time, but I also have all kinds of videos and helpful hints and, you know, a little bit about what I do. So that website, again, is drrachelcatbehavior.com. Oh, and the most important thing, there is a submission form on my website. So if you are going to my website because maybe you have a cat behavior problem, you can fill out the submission form and send it to me and I will work with you completely free of charge to solve that cat behavior problem. Excellent. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today as as a warm up to Online Behavior Day in April? I'm so excited about Online Behavior Day. It's one of the highlights of my year. I mean, not only do I get to share some type of some realm of cat behavior knowledge that I do. I get to do it with um, three other wonderful cat behaviors. And it really, every year is just a treasure trove of information. So, you know, if you're, whether you're at a shelter, whether you're a cat owner, whether you are a rescuer, there is something on online behavior day for everyone. So I really hope to see everybody at the online behavior day. And I think, is this our fifth year doing it? Yeah, I was trying to think of fourth or fifth, somewhere in yeah. there. We've yeah. done it quite a few years. So this should be like, you know, a must see on your calendar every year. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And if you sign up today for Online Behavior Day, you will be able to get the early bird discount of $20 for the registration. And um, so, and we have an incredible amount of benefits that go along with that. There's surprises and we have cat trivia Lots of really, really good stuff. It's a fun event, and hopefully you'll be able to join us. Uh, Rachel, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on our show. And you've been a past guest. We'll make sure we have those links to the past interviews that we've had with you. And I know we'll have you on again in the future. Thank you, Stacey. This has been great. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Wow.